Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10 season show. Today, we're talking about season six, episode eight, Gypsies, Cramps, and Fleas. Mary, what happened this week? Ray brings Donna a million pumpkins as an anniversary gift, ignoring Donna when she says it's not their anniversary because they're not together. He tells her he's trying to suck less and will be at the pee pad later if she wants to talk or dance. Donna informs him she does want to talk or dance there, but only with people who aren't him. Specifically one person, Joe, a hot superstitious football player she met at school today. Ray hides under the steps wearing a creepy mask and watches Donna and Joe dance. He confronts them. He warns Joe that Donna is going to cut his heart out and then leaves. Joe offers to take Donna home. At her door, he tells her maybe Donna needs some time and space before starting a new relationship. He leaves, and then Ray pops out of the shadows where he's been lurking, again, to apologize, again, and get physical with Donna when that doesn't work, again. Luckily, halfway to the parking lot, Joe changes his mind about what he said about time and space and saves Donna. Ray goes away, and Joe and Donna kiss on the couch. A fortune teller named Madame Raven stops by the peach pit to stir up love potions and also trouble, kind of. She sees some of Susan's mail and makes her think she knows more than she does about a boy named Jonathan or Susan liked before she knew Brandon. That was a really hard sentence to read. I'm sorry. (laughs) Madame Raven gives David a love potion to share with Val against her knowledge, but Steve and Claire accidentally drink it instead. Steve and Claire hate Bang, and David and Val make out on the steps because Val thinks a boy putting something in her drink is cute, but only because love potions aren't real. Colin unveils his pee pad mural, and he and Kelly dress up like cowboys. Halloween episodes. Gotta love them. Just, oh my goodness. I do kind of love that just all of television is like, yeah, we have to do a Halloween episode every year. It just is what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be so much fun to just be like, okay, if Brandon were a real person, who would he dress as for Halloween? Right. Yeah, it's like a weird almost like introspective into each character. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's – most of the costumes are really fun. Yeah. Most. But – yeah, so we start this episode with Donna waking up and Ray is putting a bunch of pumpkins on their deck. And yeah, he's like talking about how it's their anniversary and he wants to celebrate. It's a new year. He's going to do all this good stuff. They're going to be better. And I'm sitting here thinking like, do you remember last Halloween in the pumpkins, Ray? Because I remember last Halloween in the pumpkins. Right. Like when he said this is a new year. First of all, I was like, sir, it's October. <laughs> the second thing when he was like, yeah, it's our anniversary. I'm like, no, it's not. You're, you're, you're not dating. And he's like, what are you talking about? Of course it is. I'm like, okay, you have amnesia apparently too. And yeah, like, don't you recall? These are, this is just your ammo, sir. You just want to take these pumpkins and smash them. And it's not, I love Donna, but it's really not like she's helping. Like, In the past couple episodes, she's been so assertive with him and being like, we're breaking up. This is over. You need to get your life in order. And then he shows up with all these pumpkins and she's like, oh, yeah, we'll go to the dance as friends. We'll see what things happen. Like, no, Donna, 
you need to be firm with him and be like, we are not together and you need to get your pumpkins off of my deck. Yeah. I just, I mean, it's got to be so hard for somebody in that position to just Mm -hmm. keep saying the same thing over and over and over and feel like you're not getting anywhere, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, totally agree. She needs to keep being firm with him. And, like, she is in it, like, in the beginning and then she just kind of brings her wall down a little bit and just tries Mm -hmm. to, like, extend the olive branch and be like, yeah, let's just – you know, we'll be there together, but not together, basically. And unfortunately, because this is, we've established Ray as a violent person and on the verge of stalker mm-hmm. to Donna, that that is not, like, giving a window to somebody like that is just not the right thing to do because they'll, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? And yeah. so, but it's probably so difficult for Donna to know exactly what to do because it's not like she can really call the police. I mean, I guess she could get a restraining order, but how successful would she be? Is there a risk there? Is, you know, like, I'm sure there's a million things running through her mind. I just really hope she doesn't go back to him. Yeah, I I keep going back to the idea that she told Kelly what happened. Yeah. And so I feel like if anybody is a good friend, which, you know, Kelly's not doing so hot right now, they won't let her go back to him. Sure. But I will say, like, I agree with you, you know, this is really scary for, like, the idea that Ray is not taking no for an answer and keeps showing up, like, I wouldn't know how to handle this. And Donna might just be like, I can't keep being forceful with it because what if he hurts me? Exactly. Yeah. It's like such such a rock and a hard place here. And I guess after we know what happens at the end of this episode, or toward the end of this episode, like... Donna, it's time to tell Kelly. Like, she, mm-hmm. I know we kind of like made light of it last week when we said that Kelly wants to know the next time he abuses her, but like he's done it. So is Donna going to tell her? Is is she going to tell anybody, you know, except for obviously Joe knows because he was there. Yeah. Well, so the next scene with them is, you know, Claire doing the tarot reading inside, which makes me think that Claire and Kelly are home right now. And I feel like Donna should you know have a safety net to be like guys ray is here please come outside right right and it's again another interesting thing about donna here is perhaps like she's trying to handle this herself Mm -hmm. right like it seems like because she didn't use a safety net or she didn't say like i need you guys here she probably wants to appear to ray like strong and confident and like firm right Mm-hmm. that she can handle like you know she doesn't want to appear weak to him like oh I need numbers mm-hmm. or things like that I don't know I mean it's it's an interesting thought but yeah they're like there <laughs> yeah no it's it's very interesting to me how they handle the Donna and Ray stuff like truly I don't see what the plan would even be to redeem yeah. Ray like there's just no redeeming him and so I understand like everything that happened outside the show with Jamie Walters yeah. 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 Inside, Claire is like doing a tarot reading for herself. Kelly and Don are making all these comments about how they don't believe it. Like Kelly is waving a banana in Claire's face. <laughs> to be fair, that's funny. <laughs> like I, as like a 20 year old kid, like waving a banana in someone's face. I don't know why it just made me <laughs> giggle. <laughs> I just I think it's so fascinating when they like drop these little hints of Claire believing 
in like higher powers and aliens and all this stuff. Like, I just think it's such a fascinating little piece of her character. Yeah, it like clearly shows like she's so smart and intellectual, but she has her guilty pleasures. You know, it's kind of like if she were to really like reality TV or something, you know, it's, it's what's your vice? Like you could be the smartest person in the room always, but you've got a vice. Yeah. And so she pulls the lover's card and Donna and Kelly make comments about her and Steve sleeping together. And it's so funny to me every time TV shows use tarot incorrectly. See, and I know nothing about tarot. So it's just like, and all TV shows do it. Like Buffy does it. They yeah. have like made up tarot cards in Buffy. They're not <laughs> any part of any deck. But the lover's card, I think it means like like you're naked as in like emotionally mm. versus like you pull the lover's card and be like, y'all going to bang. Also, the yeah. significator isn't a card you draw. You consciously choose it. Yeah. Hey, learning more now with tarot than I did in the episode. It's just it's so funny to me because like, you know, now I can just Google it and like know how tarot works. Right. And it sounds like somebody was in the writer's room that like half understands tarot and was just like that confident with it that they were just like, yeah, significator. That's a word. <laughs> it's so funny to me because tarot decks come with a little book that explain. Yeah all of the things so like I don't know maybe look at a pack <laughs> no they don't have time for that they're writing 32 episodes a season right they're like oh we gosh. literally cannot fact check we have to keep going we are behind yeah it's like we stuck to the outline we can't go deeper than the outline <laughs> <laughs> so on campus Susan and Brandon have like this very short moment where they're going to the party together, but Susan wants to meet him there so she can surprise him with her costume. It's very feminist. I love that for her. Like, I love that she's just like, no, you can't see me until we're in the environment, like, in which you, like, costumes are okay and acceptable. You can't pick me up. I won't meet you at the house. Like, all this stuff. No, we have to wait. <laughs> I think Susan's meet you there thing is so fascinating to me this is the second time that she's been like no I'm gonna meet you at the whatever yeah it's like she always has to have an escape plan or something yeah well I mean apparently she's got somebody else on the brain so she's just like yeah we're we're not driving together so fascinating wild but yeah, yeah. The, it's like literally just that moment because then we go over to like this really weird moment where Steve and Donna are just watching some guy eat and talking about him like he can't hear them. Right. They're just marveling at his food choices. It's like steak and sandwiches and it's like, just like a lot of food. Yeah. But they make comments of like they know superstitions aren't real. Right. And they're like, all right, but are you going to tell him he's two feet away? Yeah. He's not crunching so loud that he can't hear you. <laughs> it was so weird but like this whole scene is just to introduce joe the quarterback at cu who just happens to know steve mm -hmm. and when they when donna asks how superstitious are you i really wanted to be like i'm not superstitious i'm a little stitious and i'm a little stitious <laughs> i mean and they talk about like 
the typical superstitions that you think of for athletes, like changing your underwear and things like that. And like Steve makes a weird little comment, like, Hey, you sometimes they don't wear underwear because he always has to be the one to make it weird. Right. (laughs) But I mean, if you think about it, those sports is probably the most superstitious thing out there. Like, especially for the athletes playing the sports. I mean, Mm -hmm. me as a fan, you know, like four years ago, I literally had superstitions and I thought they worked. I mean, I still think they work. I blame myself if we lose, like, oh, all I'm, the time. I remember your Georgia stickers. That's right. I had to sit on the specific couch and put on my sticker 30 minutes before kickoff. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's it worked, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I will say, when we go to your house for big games, the team loses. So I can't watch big games at your house. Yeah, that makes sense. That it's makes it's sense. very rare that a it team actually fault. wins. Yeah. I mean, the Super Bowl, the SEC Championship. I remember. The national championship, the SEC championship, that other time. (laughs) (laughs) But it's real. And yeah, it's just adorable that, you know, Donna is just sitting here being like, I don't understand. And they're like, well, it's sports. Mm -hmm. It's But, you know, Joe says she's incredibly cute when she's being teased and she invites him to the party. And this whole thing is just to have like – the two of them flirting back and forth with each other. Right. And now he is going to the Peach Pit After Dark for the Halloween party, which he wasn't before Donna, but now he is. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the camera pans to the other side of the student center where Claire is just carrying around this one tarot card and can't stop thinking about it. And then Steve comes over and... Like, if Donna and Joe were cute flirting, Steve and Claire are hate flirting so much. It's so weird. It's like these kids just need to communicate. And literally, Steve, like, tries to but then fails. Right? He's like, I want to talk about what happened in the hotel room. But lucky nothing happened. Like, no. Just talk about your true feelings, sir. Because then Claire takes it badly. Mm Mm-hmm then insults him, then he insults her, and is just throwing these insults back and forth. And my favorite, though, was when it turned from, like, just, like, the physical, you know, part about sleeping together Mm -hmm. to, you know, Steve, I'm really going to miss tutoring you. I was actually beginning to enjoy the concept of getting paid to constantly remind you of your shortcomings. Love it. And Steve, credit to him, he fires back, I'm sure you'll find someone else to condescend to. First of all, I didn't know Steve knew the word condescend. So big ups to him. (laughs) No, I definitely wrote that one down too because I was like, I'm genuinely amazed Steve could come back with that. Exactly. Maybe all this like like spending time with Claire has made him a little bit smarter and he doesn't even know it. (laughs) And so he leaves and she rips up the tarot card, which like in itself is not bad luck, but now her tarot deck is useless and she has to retire it because it's missing a card. Right, so it just throws the whole thing off. Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, Claire, what are you doing? (laughs) She doesn't know. She doesn't know. Clearly, she does not know. So we go over to the peach pit slash pee pad, and Val comes in yelling at David about this camper that's parked at the pee pad and taking all of the parking spaces. I'm not sure why it's David's fault, but hey. You yeah, know, it's fine. <laughs> That's what I said. I was like, why would David know why there's a camper outside? Right. And so at this point, David says, oh, I do know why there's your parking spaces are taken. Um, 
Madame Raven, um, she's a fortune teller and she is here. And apparently she has just like, like this giant, like it reminded me of the the kind of um pot you put like a low country boil in, like the the sheer depth of this. And she's making some potion and says that she's gonna charge twenty dollars for one. I these. so when they pan over to her and she's like putting stuff in that pot, I thought she had just like you know, pulled up her camper and was going to do fortunes and then just like invited herself into the kitchen and was like, your soup does not have enough spiciness to it. Right. Or like, this is a gumbo and this is how you make it. Or like, you know, something like that to cause this vat of liquid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But no, she's making love potions in the middle of the day in Nat's kitchen because that's normal. And Nat's just like fine with it. She's like, look, watch her. She's amazing. <laughs> Which also the middle of the day and your love potions, you should be like secreting like right. don't let Nat know how to make your love potions. Exactly. But like Val comes over because she's mad at this person mm-hmm. and she immediately gets her palm red. Like I know. Doesn't even like she just like picks up her hand and it's like, here, ah, you're too busy to know what effect you have on people. It's like Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Madame Raven ends up like essentially finding out about this party and she's like, I'll do readings for $10. Five with student ID. I mean, that's like knowing your audience. <laughs> I know, right? I love Val being like, I've already seen my future and you're not in it. But then she ends up totally being outside anyway. Like, yeah. Does I'm just picturing madam raven being like i'm not in your parking spots anymore i'm in the peach pits parking spots and you can't tell me what to do right like how did she just i mean i guess this kind of situation is like val doesn't really have any authority here so unless she like called the cops which what would they do you know like kind of stuck here right like i feel like there's something about like landlord rights and parking spots and whatnot but at the same time like no one's actually trying to stop this woman. Exactly. But so, yeah, she like walks back over to the pee pad, and Colin is apparently done with the mural finally. And he like is all up in his feelings because, you know, if you guys recall last week, you know, he bailed on his own gallery thing, residency, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, because Kelly didn't show up. Basically, mm-hmm. that's it. His sugar mama told Kelly to pound sand and he just went to go try to make up by sweeping her balcony. So yeah. he's all up in his feelings and is short with Val, distracted, all that nonsense. And then he just like demands to be paid on this mural like ASAP. Yeah. But he's like a little weird about it and is like, oh, just make the check out to my landlord. And Val's like, I'm sorry, do you have money trouble? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. You can always talk to me. Like, they're still laying a little bit of groundwork for a Colin and Val relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I kind of appreciate it. Like, it's that same thing where Colin's not really picking up what Val is putting down, mm-hmm. but it's still there. Or it's like, maybe he knows what she's doing, but he's just, like, not acknowledging it because – he's truly not into her like I don't know but you're right it's like 
they're laying the groundwork, but it's also one of those relationships where I could see it being all in our heads, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're trying to see something that's not really there at the same time. It's fully intentional, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can see both. Speaking of things that are seeing things that aren't really there, like I read this whole thing as Colin, like sizing Val up and being like, I'm about Kelly right now, but I just got out of a financial relationship and you seem like a potential next one. Oh, I like that. That is what a teen soap is all about. (laughs) Exactly. I like that read a lot. Yep. And so while all this happening, presumably when Val storms out of the peach pit, David kind of like takes his opportunity to go talk to Madam Raven because the next thing we see is out in the parking lot. She's doing a reading outside of her camper, which I definitely like thought she was doing her readings next to the dumpster and was very confused (laughs) for a hot minute. (laughs) But she's giving David a reading and (laughs) keeps saying like, I see great distress in your life. And then David tells her. And then she's like, and sadness. And then he tells her. But hope. Mm -hmm. And then he tells – like, he's just – he is all in on this. It's very, like, same thing of, like, going along with Claire and the UFOs. Like, David is just like, I've never really thought about fortune telling, but now that it's here, I'm going to do it. And clearly doesn't understand this is a con. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but – Every now and then she says things. So, you know, she tells him that she sees a soulmate for him. (laughs) For some reason, he jumps to Valerie and she's like, "Mm, I think there's someone else there. Yeah. Which that part was fascinating. Yeah. You know, like just thinking like, okay. And he didn't even think about anybody else. All It was just like one track mind on Val. Yeah. Because he wants that relationship to work pretty much to the point. That, you know, he asked her, he's like, well, if it's not Val, who is my soulmate? And she's like, I don't know, but I got love potions. And he (laughs) jumps at it. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I can make someone love me? Cool. Done. Sold. Which feels very David and also really skeevy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so we go back to the beach apartment where Kelly is just like sitting outside by herself carving pumpkins. <laughs> and I swear this apartment has changed again. Have we ever seen that spiral staircase or is like the angle just different? I didn't even notice. So I don't know. I noticed it. I can't remember seeing it before. And I'm pretty sure like their beach house floor is like, not even really on that building at all. It's just floating somewhere. <laughs> it's so weird. I did notice they had like an elliptical in that corner. And I love the idea of them just like sitting out on the balcony, ellipticaling, looking out at the beach. Oh, man. That sounds great. <laughs> it's very like those Peloton commercials where you have the Peloton in the very specific scenic room in your house. <laughs> Meanwhile, mine is just like in the garage basement area of my house where. I just look at myself because there's mirrors. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that sounds scenic to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you flatter me. (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, like, and also that area seems huge, you Mm -hmm. know, because obviously this was the same place where Ray was setting up all the pumpkins. But yeah, it almost seems like this camera angle is an angle that we haven't seen before. And now this area is just massive, like 
they have yeah. place for a giant table to carve the pumpkins on, plus all the pumpkins that are like set up already. Which yeah is so weird because we've seen that table before. Like we mm-hmm. saw it for Kelly's birthday a few weeks ago. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just very. The scenery is very odd to me, and I'm having, like, some spatial issues with their apartment. Well, because we're so used to seeing the angle of from the railing toward the door, Mm -hmm. and that space in between the railing and the apartment itself seems kind of small. Yeah, it always makes me think of, like, you know, when you watch TV sitcoms that are, you know, filmed in front of a live audience, so there's just a side of the apartment you literally never see. yeah. We're in this new corner of the set and, you know, Colin wants to talk to Kelly. They're both fine. Like they're, you know, trying to talk but really struggling to talk. And Kelly kind of makes this comment about how he doesn't have a job. She's like, I don't think you've changed. I don't think you've grown because you don't have a job. Like you're still fighting growing up and taking care of yourself. And you know, he begs her to come to the unveiling tonight for his mural. She says she'll consider it. And I think that's the best he can hope for from her right now. Yeah, I mean, because, like, the the catalyst for their entire relationship right now is the fact that he's not really earning money in a healthy way, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. You know, because, like, he's relying on money from this person who is in a really, like, scandalous relationship with him and it's not really about his art like it'd be one thing if he was literally a struggling artist who's just you know trying to make connections and get his art shown but it's he's doing it in an honest way Mm -hmm. and and it's not that it's not it's not that it's dishonest it's just kind of skeevy and gross you know like yeah it doesn't feel like it's really about his art it's about control And it's kind of dishonest because he wasn't upfront with Kelly about this other relationship he has. So, you know, I totally get her being like, I'm not going to trust you until I'm sure that that is not going to be a thing again. Yeah, exactly. Like she has zero problems with him being an artist and pursuing his passion and all that. She just thinks he should do it the right way. Mm -hmm. and. To do that, since she knows, like she says later, that a lot of artists have like couple jobs, like so that they can be lucrative and actually live. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like I don't think it's, I don't think it's irrational at all for Kelly to like expect more. Oh yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Colin does have some growing up to do, and I. While I think Kelly has had some rough moments in the last couple episodes, I can appreciate her standing up for herself and being, you know, this, like, obtuse, I still really like you, but, like, we can't be together unless you get a job and show me that you're doing something. hmm And for some reason, after that scene, we go to the pee pad where Ray is, which makes no sense to me. Like, yeah. he's not in, in residence at the pee pad anymore. So why is he just hanging out during the day? That you would think he would they would put the scene just like at the peach pit or something. Yeah. But Donna comes there to see him and he apologizes for showing up unannounced earlier and she like basically not in so many words is like, "Look, I don't want you to come to this party tonight because I want to flirt with people and I can't do that if I'm feel like I'm being watched." Which 
she's just calling it like she sees it, right? She's like, mm-hmm. I know you, I know your behavior. I'm I'm hip to this now. Like, you know, now that I know who you are and what your behavior is like, I want to avoid this. So either don't show up or be fine with it. It's up to you. Yeah. And I it's wild that she's like, I can't do these things if I feel like I'm being watched. And Ray is like, is that how I make you feel? Like, obviously. Yeah. Yes, Ray. So much. That's what you do. It's not just how she feels. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. And Donna calls them friends, and that upsets me. It's the same thing of, like, she's been so firm with him so many times and then just, like, can't officially cut him out of her life, and that upsets me. Yeah, because, like, it's – you can tell it's – she's just trying to be a good person, and she's mm-hmm. just trying to avoid – any kind of confrontation or altercation, right? Like she's just trying to be upfront, be honest, and have things like chill out. Like she doesn't want any drama. Mm-hmm. She's trying to end all of this, but it's tough because he's a combative person. So, you know, like obviously she doesn't want him to hurt her again, but she also just like wants it all to go away. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, that's totally fair. Like, her not wanting to, you know, cause a scene at the pee pad or, like, cause any more drama by getting all firm with him and being like, look, this just needs to stop. Like, just, I would appreciate if you didn't come to the party tonight. Yeah. But, yeah. And then. And and he insists, like, he's going to win her back. I'm like, well, you are very far behind, sir. I just. It's obsessive, and I know, like, he wouldn't see that about himself, but it it bothers me that he's, like, so clearly stalking Donna at this point. It's just very scary. It's very scary. hmm Then outside the peach pit, Susan and Brandon pull up, and for some reason, Susan is carrying so much stuff. Like. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why she doesn't just have a backpack. Right. Or like a briefcase or satchel or some kind of transportation device. (laughs) Yeah. Literally anything. But she doesn't. She's got all this stuff in her hands. And then Madam Raven throws like a bucket of water at her car or something. I don't know. Accidentally on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because she does say like, oh, I didn't know anyone was there. And Brandon literally goes, isn't that your job? (laughs) yeah shouldn't you have seen that (laughs) which I do appreciate and that does feel very Brandon of him to be like I'm a little sus man I just I just had a thought like whenever Brandon's not the main storyline I mean we're we've already established like it's well into season six or not well into season six but well into the show and we've come a long way with Brandon Walsh but like anytime he's just kind of background or, or B or C plot He's so funny and just so, like, I can understand why Susan likes him. Like, and I wonder if that just has to do with the idea that, like, Jason Priestley can calm down. Like, he's not the center of attention. He's probably not as tired. And he can just, like, stick some cotton in his mouth and pretend (laughs) to be the godfather. Exactly. But, you know, Madam Raven ends up, like, putting her stuff down, helping Susan pick up all of her things. And she sees a letter with a boy's name on it on the return address. And 
basically like uses that to pretend that she's reading Susan and is like, oh, is there another boy? That boy from Seattle. Yeah. And like she because of that, she convinces Susan that she knows something that Brandon doesn't basically. And so Brandon goes on into the peach pit and Susan's like, hang on, I uh, forgot something in my car or whatever. And it's just an excuse to go talk to Madam Raven a little bit, which Susan's the most skeptical about this. But at the same time, it's kind of like with the David thing where she's like, well, you said something right. And now I know what that means. Like, even if it's a little vague, it's it matches what's going on. Yeah. Like, the I think the first thing she does when they go inside is be like, that was just a lucky guess. Like, how did you possibly know there's a boy in Seattle? How did you know? Right. And, and Boomy's curious, too. I don't know if you guys noticed, but he made an appearance. He was like, ooh, I want to know about the boy from Seattle. <laughs> Which, like, how did he get in there? There's a tent. <laughs> he has his ways. <laughs> But, you know, they they keep talking and Susan is kind of using this as like a mini therapy session. She's like, oh, my God, me and Brandon have so much in common. I just don't know what to do. Yeah. It's like she has so many reasons to just give in to this relationship. But there's things in the back of her mind like, well, what if this isn't as perfect as I think? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of ends there and we jump ahead to the party that night where we get to see everybody's costumes where David and Valerie are dressed as cave people. Brandon's the godfather. <laughs> Donna is technically a devil, I guess. Mm-hmm. I love all of Donna's costumes are just like <laughs> the least amount of clothing. And then she puts something on her head and she's like, I'm a devil. Duh. Duh. <laughs> yeah. I also love 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 Brandon just being just the king of impressions right like he can do so many things I love it and when Donna's trying to guess who he is he guess she guesses Steve Martin from Father of the Bride and I wish now I wish he was Steve Martin from Father of the Bride I just love how much he commits to being the godfather. And, like, he's quick about it, too. Every time they say something, he's just, like, there with the next response. He just, like, is method with this costume. He's like, nah, if I'm going to – I don't dance. I draw the line of dancing. But if there's a costume involved, I will commit. (laughs) Did he have, like, cotton balls stuffed in his cheeks? Yes. Yes, he did. It was it like looks like you know like like gauze that like when you get your wisdom teeth out. <laughs> yeah. No, he committed and also committing. Claire's costume, adorable. Oh, she looked so, so good. good. Oh my god, she looked incredible. Like, give me Kathleen Robertson's like fitness routine like yesterday. Right. She just like is perfect. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. When they're in the dressing room later and she like leans over for the air conditioner I was like hello abs right I'm like I see those lines on the outside how do you not have your little belly like tumbling over your bottom part of your costume how does that happen (laughs) I know right and then Susan comes over and I gotta be honest when she was like oh I'm gonna be something feminist and it's a surprise I was really expecting her to be like I'm Ruth Bader Ginsburg yes I literally had the same thought I was like she is gonna especially when she made the comment or I guess she makes it later about 
the Supreme Court justices, like, wanted yeah. to know where they ruled, I'm like, RBG would have been the perfect costume or something like that for her to be. Mm-hmm. But no, it's uh, – she's – historically accurate Pocahontas, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, I I think there's a lot to say of the 2022 lens that we always look at these episodes from, but I was For just sure. sitting here like, cultural appropriation, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this anymore. Well, that and like, she tries, like, I, I just don't understand how it's feminist. You know what I mean? Like, you know, cultural appropriation aside and even 2022 lens aside, I'm like, what is, what is it about this costume that makes it feminist? You know? And I, I just like, I even paused when we got to see the full outfit and I was like, all right, let's figure this out. And I have nothing. Well, and yeah, I didn't Google the history of Pocahontas, but wasn't she still married off to a white man and shipped over to London? Exactly. Like, Yeah, I just couldn't figure it out. And it's like if if I'm just ignorant on the subject and somebody out there can tell me why, like I please like let me know because I don't know. But I just didn't I just didn't understand it. So I just googled uh, Pocahontas and it came out in June 1995. So maybe that was her attempt to be like Disney really effed this up. So I'm gonna go around and tell people I'm the culturally like historically accurate version of Pocahontas maybe or maybe it was like the first Disney quote-unquote princess movie that wasn't about a princess you know what I mean like there but was she no was a princess a sleeping beauty her well, father's yeah. the chief but do they call like I mean this is just again me being ignorant but like do they is the daughter they don't... of the chief called a princess maybe so I mean like I don't think princess like exists outside right. of like traditional monarchy like that word specifically but i mean she is you know related to the man in charge of things and disney yeah. does put her in the disney princesses sure so i mean that my best guess yeah is that like this disney movie came out <laughs> while the show exists and they're just like yeah pick that cuz like i think she might also be the first Disney princess that is based on a real person. Or the first non-white. But then it's you got a white girl dressing up. I, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's okay. We don't have to know. <laughs> yeah. it's. I don't have an answer for it. I just, I didn't understand the choice. Like, they still wanted to be like, look, she's hot. Yeah, exactly. Because... <laughs> I don't think that's how they dressed. I have no idea. I just knew I didn't know. <laughs> Real life Pocahontas did not have a push-up bra. I can promise you that. <laughs> no underwire for her. <laughs> to make matters worse, Ray is lurking, literally watching Donna from underneath a staircase and putting on a mask to hide his face. And I have seen too many horror movies and I am creeped out. Dude, it was like a clown mixed with the Nixon mask. Like, it was like Nixon was dressed up as a clown. Like, oh my God, it was so creepy. Uh, and I have a thing with, I hate masks. Mm. Like, they make me so uncomfortable. They, you know. Like, a, wearing and seeing someone wear one? Seeing other people in them. Mm. 
like I don't like wearing them myself because like my parents used to buy a whole bunch of Halloween costumes and I remember we'd have masks and they always had that oh. gross like plasticky smell. Yes, yes, so, yes, like, yes. I don't like to wear them personally, but then like also just not having a concept of who's underneath the mask that you're talking to, even if I know who it is, like I I just can't do it. Mm. Yeah. That freaks me the fuck out. Fair. It's creepy and like too many horror movies or like movies masquerading as comedies that end up actually being like true horror. Like I'm specifically thinking of like Revenge of the Nerds where the guy puts on the Halloween costume and pretends to be the girl's boyfriend and then has sex with her. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's supposed to be a comedy and I'm sitting here being like this is actual horror. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. That makes total sense. But yeah, he's like lurking under the stairs and then he puts the mask on. Like it's it's also nefarious. Like he's doing this on purpose to hide who he is so that he can stalk Donna. Correct, correct. Yeah, and like, you know, he sees Joe. He sees mm-hmm. basically like – Donna talking to Joe so now he's figured out all right I'm in I'm quote-unquote incognito but now I know who the person is that Donna intended to be here with instead of me (laughs) like just picture the show being from a different angle where you see Donna and Joe talking and then Ray with his mask in the background just staring at them and like scary music over it horror movie actual horror movie for sure but we like you know, kind of skip away from that because Susan wants to go talk to Madam Raven again. And this time she brings Brandon with her. <laughs> I love that. Like, and so funny to me. And she is trying to say like, oh, I, you know, we're getting our fortune read, but shouldn't it be like how the Supreme Court justices are going <laughs> to rule or like, Brandon, don't you want to know who's going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> me over here. I'm like, Brandon has a betting problem. Please do right. not talk about gambling with him. <laughs> But he mixes it so well because I think he literally says, like, hey, if the fix is in, I don't want to (laughs) know. It's so funny. And, you know, Madam Raven says that there's something in the way of their relationship. And Brandon immediately is like, well, it's not Kelly. I'm over her. Yeah. Like, which, you know, normally teen soap Caitlin would think, oh, he's projecting, right? Mm -hmm. He's clearly not. But I actually think he's telling the truth here. Like, I actually think he's like, no, it's not me. It must be on you, doll. You know, like, I have expected him to, like, say something like that. And, like, with the cotton balls in his mouth, it would totally fit. Because I I also read it that way. I was like, "Mm, I think you're protesting a little too much. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's this whole thing. And Susan basically, like, starts feeling all this pressure to be like, look, you're right. It's not you. It's not Kelly. It's the former editor of The Condor from last year that I had a thing with, and, you know, it ended, I guess, badly. You know, he moved to Seattle. She has unresolved feelings with him, and this is why she doesn't like office romances. Yep. But I also just love that instead of typical what we're used to early season Brandon, instead of him going full Brandon and raging and getting all mad, he kisses her. He mm-hmm. just like, here's what she has to say, lets her talk, doesn't react poorly, straight up kisses her, and she's like, why did you do that? And he's like, you told me the truth. And I'm like, oh my god, is this on growth? Like, are we truly living in Brandon's best life right now? Like, are we here 
did it just take some time and all Brandon needed was to just go to college and mature a little bit? Because I love that for him so much. Like, yeah, I kind of wonder if Jason Priestley got like, you know, more power behind the camera with like getting his EP title and all, you know, being able to direct episodes. And he's finally just like, look, I'm tired of yelling as Brandon. (laughs) Like he is doing the most and this is not how I think he should respond anymore. Right. Like Like, this is – it's just so beautiful when a character like has so much growth. mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and and be naive to think that he won't have his mess ups and his mistakes and his moments and things like that. Obviously he will. But it's just so comforting to know that your character started in a place that was flawed and had its issues but you could see potential there. And then for that potential to actually come to fruition, it's just so beautiful. And that's like one of my favorite things about television. And also usually why I tend to like villains more than I do, you know, protagonists or things like that, just because there is so much opportunity for growth and you often see it. But with Brandon, he's the protagonist and he's not the villain and he has had so much potential and now it's being realized. And it's just, ah, it's great. Chef's kiss. Mm. Well, and we've also talked about how, like, having people be in, like, successful relationships, I guess, makes Mm -hmm. the drama more meaningful in the future. So the fact that Brandon isn't constantly, like, getting all worked up and getting mad and he's just like, you told me the truth and I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Like, that's going to make future drama just mean so much more. A hundred percent. And you don't feel like you're constantly – up and down and and you know all over the place and kind of a we fight we fight we break up we get back together we make up like all this kind of stuff it's like sometimes you just kind of need to exist and have your arguments and have real problems instead of just all this constant like uh will they won't they or will they make up or not kind of Mm -hmm. yeah i mean this cast is just too big to have every single person doing that at the same time because we've already got that with kelly and colin right now exactly Donna and Ray also have like a thing at like it's good that we have the balance For and it sure. makes me it makes me happy that it's Brandon being balanced 100% and it makes me ship them a lot more yeah and I guess speaking of Kelly and Colin it's time to unveil the mural and the mural is titled Kelly's New York <laughs> which is fine and then it's revealed and I just remember sitting on the couch watching this and Nate like happened to look over right at this moment and he saw me do the emoji face that's like <laughs> like I can't describe it it's like the grimace the, like, I guess gr- yeah <laughs> and he goes is that bad and I was like I don't really know art that well so I don't feel like I can accurately like critique it but I don't like it <laughs> that's I was like I don't get it. Yeah. Like, it was kind of cool how he wove in, like, all the different angles of the different walls and things like that. But at the same time, I'm like, what are these random, almost puppet-looking things or, like, figurine-looking things in the in, amongst all of the buildings? Yeah, the, like, people dressed up as buildings. Yeah. And then he's calling it Kelly's New York, but it's literally just a New York skyline. Like, there's no art in that. Like, Maybe the people just as buildings were supposed to be, like, models? I don't know. (laughs) I I have no idea. I just... 
Kelly shows up. <laughs> Apparently, they're both dressed as cowboys, <laughs> which I did not understand until she was like, oh, I see we both had the Western motif, motif. or whatever. Yeah. And all I could think about was Dylan's past life where they were in the Old West. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. At this point, after he introduces the mural, there's this, like, short little bit cut where Val introduces the live band for the night, and it's the cramps. Mm. So, gypsies, cramps, and fleas. We have our gypsy, Madam Raven. We have our cramps. The actual cramps. (laughs) We'll get to the fleas later. But, like, we actually don't get a lot cut out of the episode. The only parts that get cut are her announcing them and then them on stage. And then all of their music plays over the next couple pee pad scenes. And they're just, like, the music's taken out. Yeah, because that's good to know. Because the whole time I'm like, where the heck are our cramps? Like, I was half expecting someone to be on their period or something. Same. I was waiting for Kelly to be like, I was only mad at you because it's my time of the month. Right. (laughs) If there wasn't the cramps, like, which obviously there wasn't in the one that made it to air, but the next scene that we see at the pee pad is enough to give me cramps, not because of a period, but because I'm uncomfortable. And that's because David is drugging Valerie's drink and his own, it seems. Which, like... I don't care what you're putting in someone's drink. If you're putting anything in someone's drink without, without their knowledge, knowing, yeah. it's not okay. Agreed. Like, ugh, this was so cringy. Yeah. And, you know, we watch him pour this stuff into their drinks. He takes it over to the table and puts it down next to identical drinks that Claire and Steve are drinking. And they're mad because Steve is dressed in, like, some authentic Apollo 11 dress blues or something. But he looks like Major Nelson. And so it looks like they're in a couple's costume, which is – they got me. That was funny. Yes, it was. I loved it so much. And they end up drinking the potion because they're so hot and bothered about, like, being mistaken into a couple's costume that now David has actually drugged his friends and not himself <laughs> and his girlfriend. And, like, don't get me wrong. I totally understand the intent of the episode and or, or the scene, rather, and, like, the intent behind what David's trying to do. But it just doesn't land because you should, to your point, never, ever put something in somebody's drink without them knowing. Yeah. And it, it just goes from bad to worse, like, <laughs> repeatedly. Because now Ray sees Donna and Joe slow dancing to a fast song yep (laughs) and comes over and screams at her in front of joe like they're swaying and ray is just like peering over joe's shoulder acting like he's not even there to try to yell at donna yeah and he's like making everything really uncomfortable and at one point he warns joe that donna's gonna cut his heart out And Donna's, like, really embarrassed about this. And she's like, can we just pretend that never happened? And I'm like, Donna, just explain that he's your abusive ex and that you're over him, but he's not over you. Exactly. Like, it's it's honestly not fair to Joe to not tell him the truth. Right. And I guess to Joe's credit, he's like, we can try, but also would you rather just go home? You know, he's like, yes. Why don't we just leave this situation instead of trying to pretend it didn't happen? Let's just go. 
And it's unclear, you know, at this point whether or not they do leave. But eventually, like, we come to find, like, yeah, he, he do- they do leave together. Um, but before they can leave, <laughs> yeah, we see Steve and Claire all hot and bothered. So hot. And I will say, so, like, I'm just going to talk about Steve and Claire because there's, like, a quick cut back to them later. But Steve is like, oh, my gosh, we're so hot. Let's just go to the dressing room and crank the AC. And so Claire downs her drink and they both go. And then we get up to them in the dressing room just, like, talking about how hot they are and how, like, angry they are. And you can see Steve's, like, lusty eyes staring at Claire. And, and I, specifically her boobs. <laughs> very specifically. But I will say he does essentially ask for consent. Oh, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. Do you want to? Like, there's not like a surprise kiss or like a just go for it. Like, they do actually confirm verbally for the audience yes, we want to bang it out and we're going to bang it out. And they are under the influence of something. But I guess at least they talked about it. I did also notice they do not shut the door. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) There might have been another door, but the door that's right behind them, not shut. I got to admit, I kind of loved this scene. Like, they actually have some good chemistry. And we've seen that from, you know, all the other times that they've gotten, like, physical with each other. But, yeah, I'm like, yes, enemies to lovers, please do it right now. (laughs) Right? Like, I would not be upset if they just, like – hate bang it out for a little bit like they just get off on like insulting each other and then bang it out and are like it's totally consensual everybody understands what the relationship is and then a little while they're like you know I guess I just like banged out all my anger bye yeah like I'm totally fine with them never actually getting into a relationship with each other but I know, you know, what's going to happen is, like, probably Steve is going to have real feelings for Claire. She's going to deny it at first, reject him. Then Steve's not going to want to have this, like, friends with benefits kind of situation anymore because he wants something real. And mm. Claire eventually realizes she wants it, too. Like, I can totally see that that's probably what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I would love if they were just, like, friends with benefits. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Yeah. And so while they're doing that is Colin and Kelly are talking and Colin's basically just like, well, now that I'm not being supported in the style I've become accustomed to, I've decided, remember that job I turned down like four weeks ago? I'm going to take it. Yeah, it was a little, I don't know, like the intent was good because it's like, yeah, Colin's admitting like, I don't have a job. I need more consistent money. So Mm -hmm. there's a way I can do that and make Kelly happy at the same time. I'm going to do that thing. So the intent is positive, but it comes off a little like bougie, I guess is the word, because he's just like, I'm used to living a high life. Since I'm not doing that, I need to get back to that status quo. Yeah, it was a weird one. And this whole like, He's still not actually going out and trying to find a job. The job just, like, happened upon him. And the idea that he can just show up weeks later and be like, I know I turned you down, but will you accept me now? Like, Mm -hmm. it's very interesting to me. Like, I don't know. Maybe the show is like, he's such a great artist that it doesn't matter. But I'm sitting over here being like, if I turned down a job in December and called them now and was like, hey, I changed my mind, 
not a chance in hell they'd hire me. Yeah. It's a little too wrapped up in a bow. Yeah. It's it's very easy and then it like gets him on campus so that they can do things together. Like I would have honestly really liked it if he was like I had to get a job at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. Kelly's excited about it. He's excited about it. They're fine, I guess. So now we get to kind of a, a big part of the episode where mm-hmm. Joe's taking Donna home. So it's established that Joe and Donna decide to go home. He, They have some, like, decent chemistry here, too. He, like, compliments her, to, calls her beautiful. But then, and I felt like this was a very mature move, Joe says like maybe I should give you some time and some space because clearly there's some things that either you mm-hmm. have to deal with or just the fact that like your ex just blew up on you for no reason at all like I should probably just not be involved right now and let you deal with things and I yeah. was like hey that's a nice mature thing to say like you know Joe's not automatically getting mad after they met one time you know like this is a nice change of pace yeah but- but then, unfortunately, all things just go to shit because Ray is apparently there, lurking in the background. Honestly, terrifying. Like, yes. when Joe leaves and turns the corner and then Ray just steps out, like, I was losing my mind. And I, I was a little upset. They did the whole, like, Donna being dumb thing where she and Joe get back to the apartment and all those pumpkins are there and decorated and lit up. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, yeah, my roommate and her boyfriend must have done this. Like, Ray works at a pumpkin patch. Right, right. Like, what? how are you not connecting this? Right. But, yeah, Ray steps out and just starts degrading her and calling her a slut. And he grabs her and, like, twists her wrist and – you know, all this stuff. And then it gets really conflicting for me because yeah. Joe comes running back. He pulls Ray off of her and throws him and is like, how does it feel to be on the receiving end? Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, I understand they're trying to be like, Joe is chivalrous and saves her, but that's not how it's landing for me. Mm. I'm seeing just another person who's not afraid to get in a physical fight. Like I have never wanted to date someone that physically fights other people. That's just not my thing. And then when they go inside and Joe like makes her some tea and she goes and changes and everything, he says he came back because he changed his mind about giving her time and space. But I really think it would have landed better if he was like, I was going down the stairs and I heard him hurting you. So I came back. Yeah, yeah, that part was the part that was a little like, hmm, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. And to your point, like, so I'm a little okay with Joe, quote unquote, saving Donna, because here's why. Even if Donna were like the strongest woman, Mm -hmm. Ray could still technically overpower her, right? So... The fact that Joe, who's a male, you know, comes in and forces Ray off of her. I'm not mad about that because, yeah, like that makes sense to me. But at the same time, I'm also on the same page with you. Like, I don't love that it got very violent. Like, I would have liked it better if Joe 
pushed Ray off of Donna, but then stood in between them, you know, like didn't escalate it further and like throw Ray onto that table, like all that stuff. If he like stood in, in between them and it was like, you need to leave, you know, yes. that would have been better for me because if I'm Donna, I'm scared at this point, right? Like not only did my ex-boyfriend who is abusive grab me and threaten me all over again, but now I have this new guy who I literally just met earlier today or yesterday or whatever it was getting really physical. So now like I'm just surrounded by violence. Yeah. There's like a lot of trauma that Donna has around physical violence. And then, yeah, like you said, there's a difference between standing in front of Ray and being like, you need to leave versus throwing him so hard they break a table. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's not cool with me. And then, yeah, it gets weird that he's like, well, I changed my mind about, you know, giving you time and space. That was just my fear talking. Yeah. It, it doesn't land for me. I'm not excited about Joe. I just think I need more I need more information. I'm that's fair. I'm neither here nor there on Joe. I just need more information. First of all, I can't trust a Joe ever since you. Um, oh fair. <laughs> um, which is hilarious because Joe is my dad's name. <laughs> <laughs> um but also I think it's so interesting that like the writers probably had Joe tackle Ray like that because he's a football player. Mm-hmm. And and we're just like, that's like really excessive. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, I think that's exactly what they did to be like, he's a football player. He can protect her. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I watch a lot of football and watching the quarterback try and tackle <laughs> someone is hilarious. <laughs> so funny. It's like funnier than when the punter or kicker tries to <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I mean, they're definitely trying to show Joe as a strong football player, like athlete, like whatever, whatever. It just, yeah, it was just too physical for me. Yeah, it, it just didn't land for me. And then they make out and I was like, Ugh. like, I got to be honest, when he says that he was going to give her time and space, I actually kind of thought he was going to be like, I need to be upfront with you. I'm a virgin. Ooh. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought he was going to say that. Like, I thought he was going to be like, you look really fucking hot and I'm at your door and I can't go inside with you because I don't have sex. Oh, man. If only. Yeah. Right? I have this much hope that still happens. Yeah, right? I'd be okay with that. I would too. I just want something good to happen for Donna. And I feel like, you know, especially with the fact that like Colin just got introduced and we do not like Colin and then Joe gets introduced and I'm sitting here being like, mm, I don't like you. Like <laughs> I I need something good to happen for these people with like a new outside perspective. Yeah. It's like we've gotten Susan and we love her mm-hmm. and – yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's because these other two just don't feel as permanent to me yet. That's fair. And I, I don't know why Susan feels permanent to me. But I'm just like, they're not going to last, so I'm not going to get attached to them. That and then also, true. Ray became permanent, and I hate him. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely like screwed right over. I do feel really bad for Jamie Walters because now I like understand why he was like, you guys just ruined me. Like, right. Like people can't see, they can't separate my character from me. Like, which is kind of hilarious, Mary, that you brought up you because like Penn Badgley has not played good guys in the past and now he's playing Joe. And I remember like, I think it was when the most recent season dropped. People kept talking about like how hot Joe was. And Penn Badgley was like, are you guys okay? Yeah. He was like, no, 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 no. Wrong reaction. <laughs> Ugh. Like he's so fucking creepy. Yeah. And, like he he plays it so well and so yeah. believably. And it is like legitimately unnerving how good he is in that role. Yeah. Like, I used to think Penn Badgley was attractive back in, like, early Gossip Girl days because I was, like, 15 when the show came out or however yeah. old I was. But, like, the seasons went on. I was, like, eh, not really a Penn Badgley fan anymore. Not necessarily because of him, but because of his character, right? And then yeah, all of a sudden exactly. He's Joe and you. And I'm, like, okay, well, that solidified that. <laughs> like, okay, he's an attractive person. Yeah. But, like, literally – the facial expressions that he makes in his role as Joe are like terrifying, terrifying. Like you can't be attracted to that because that wants to kill you. Right. That wants to torture you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. God, that show's so good. I'm like really behind on it, but like, I think I've, I'm like two seasons behind, I think. Oh, I wow. really enjoyed the the new season. I like I did too. enjoyed is a weird word to say, but like it was well done and the acting was Victoria Pendretti is so, so good. So good. I love so her in things. Yeah, I really enjoyed the new season. I highly recommend it. Yeah. I think I binged it, which is I a think hard I did too. to binge. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, horrible segue, but speaking of things that are hard to watch i guess (laughs) um the next scene that we get at the pee pad is val and david after the party is over and val's talking about how this party was a hit she goes to kiss him and he's like why are we even doing this guilt loneliness love potion and admits that he drugs her and she calls it sweet Ooh. What? Cringy. And like, from what we have seen from Val in the past, I don't buy this from her. Mm -hmm. I don't buy her saying that some guy drugging her is sweet. She was literally just sexually harassed in the past couple episodes. Like, yeah, I don't buy this. And again, it's like, it's such a weird, you know, spot to be in with intent versus action right Mm -hmm. because it's like the intent is fine like you know david wasn't trying to like you know harass her or anything like that but still the action of putting something in somebody's drink without them knowing Mm -hmm. is inherently harassing and and bad right so it's like it's so hard to be like yeah david's innocent and honest and whatever because it's such a bleh thing, well, you know? 
And that's the thing. Like, as soon as he drugs her, he takes her consent away. Yeah. And then now he's essentially giving it back by being like, look, I did this to you. I'm coming clean. And she calls it sweet. And I'm like, that's not that's not sweet. That's not how that works. And I think that's why, like, it's so confusing that these, like, love potions and those, I guess, storylines are still a thing. Mm-hmm. Especially today. Like, those things still happen all the time. And... Like, I want to say I just watched something with a love potion or, oh, it was Buffy. Never mind. That happened in the (laughs) 90s. Never mind. But it's just so interesting that that became such a thing when, yeah, in essence, the whole idea behind a love potion is that the person you're giving it to doesn't know that they're under the spell, Mm -hmm. right? And why is that a thing? Like, why did that become so popular when you're right? It's like you're literally taking away somebody's control and consent for what? Fake love? Like, and (laughs) yeah, I mean, let's talk about Buffy that, you know, that episode probably comes out in, you know, say 1998. So a couple years after this, like, but still pretty far in the past. Yeah. Xander remains a main character for the rest of the show who is like very heavily involved in these people's lives. And like, Nobody addresses that he drug he put a spell on the entire school. Like, right. And nobody is just like, I'm sorry, what did you do to me? Right. And like granted, he had no idea like that that was going to happen to that many people. But like the intent originally was to have it happen to one person and that's mm-hmm. enough. Right. And like Cordelia isn't even like she finds it sweet too yeah by the end of it she's like oh you tried to like that potion was meant for me it's yeah girl it didn't affect you you should be happy about that (laughs) well and their whole thing is like it didn't affect her because she was already in love with him right like it that also didn't land with me but that's just because i hate xander so much i was gonna make a comment earlier that cordelia and xander are steve and claire yes like uh yeah it's <laughs> it's a whole thing and i speaking of steve and claire the next morning a bunch of them are at the pee pad and steve admits that claire stayed the night and then it's this weird moment where the cops come in and basically say that they're looking for madam raven and she's been going around parading as this fortune teller and handing out love potions but nobody knows what's in it which like also makes me really skeeved out to be like there there's probably like ecstasy in it right like charging 20 bucks for it there's drugs in it yeah like in 1997 or whatever year we're in like you're or 95 whatever like 20 dollars for that much liquid it's drugs there's there's like fentanyl on that shit or something like it's (laughs) it's drinkable meth yeah. Oh, my God. It's orange <laughs> juice meth all over again. Oh, my God. What if they were like, oh, this tastes very orangey? <laughs> the citrus blend. <laughs> oh, oh, my, my God. But then what was weird to me is that nobody gave her up. Like, Susan grabs the photo, shows it to everybody else, and Susan's like, never heard of her. And then Nat's like, oh, I saved a bottle of the love potion. Like, what a weird way to end this. Yeah. Because that's that's how the Halloween party stuff ends, is Nat saved the bottle of the love potion and Steve wants to buy it from him. Because everything's for sale, Nat. <laughs> because Steve likes drugs. He just well, wants to do more drugs and have sex. 
And Steve just likes like sales. Like he's just he's a salesman like at its core. It's it's so weird. So weird. <laughs> the funny thing is, we still have a whole nother story to talk about because Tony and Dylan just like aren't involved at the pee pad at all. Right, right. So yeah, Mary, do you want to tell us about them? Tony and Dylan adopt a Halloween kitten named Trouble and hand out candy to kiddos. That's Tony with an I, by the way, but could you imagine? <laughs> While Dylan's out buying cat stuff, Bruno delivers a message to Tony from Tony requesting some time to talk. Tony meets Tony at the peach pit and asks if he had anything to do with Jack McKay's death. His silence is enough of an answer that Tony goes back to Dylan's distraught. She's also extra worried because remember how Dylan keeps that gun in his first aid kit? Tony tells Dylan that his superstitions about her father were correct. Or no, superstition. That's not the right word. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Tony tells Dylan that his suspicions about her father were correct. Dylan tells her that it isn't her fault and what they both have to do is let go and move on. Dylan brings Tony to the waterfront where he witnessed Jack's car explode they decide to move away to Hawaii and throw Dylan's gun into the water, which is exactly what you do with illegal guns. <laughs> oh, my. I was so mad. I was like, no, isn't there like a guns for toys kind of drive going on? Or literally just take it to the police station or something like anything but this. Like they do literally have policies where you can like surrender your gun mm -hmm. just to get illegal guns off the street. And let's be honest, Dylan is a rich white man. He's going to have no problems. Yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah, but like, sorry, I find it hilarious whenever we say Tony tells Tony. <laughs> I can't. I just love that they like have the, the writers or whoever came up with it. It was just like, yes, Anthony Marchette and Antonia Marchette called them both Tony. <laughs> yeah. But Antonia Marchette. The first thing that happens in this episode is she comes back because she's still staying with Dylan. And I love that she calls them roommates. Adorable. Also, the fact that, like, Dylan opens the door and is like, I woke up this morning and my baby was gone. I'm like, Dylan, you are freaking cute. <laughs> Dylan was killing me this episode. I was so in love with him. He is smitten by Tony and eventually the kitten. When... Tony meets Tony Business at the Peach Pit later, and he's like, there are other boys. It's not just Dylan. I was like, that is false, sir. Untrue. No it other is, men exist. It is only <laughs> Dylan. Because he's just adorable. Yeah, he's like, I woke up and my baby was gone. And then he's like, I thought you were going to get milk, you know, butter, cheese. <laughs> the staples. And she's like, nah, fam. Candy. <laughs> she pulls out decorations and hands him that little skeleton. He's like, what are we going to do with David Silver here? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> but also hilarious. I can only assume it's because David's like a, a very skinny man. Mm -hmm. It's but just I so loved funny. It. Like, he, like how that occurred to him just to be like, what are we going to do with young David Silver here? <laughs> I don't know. But I loved it. So funny. And he goes to open the door, and there's this little kitten just sitting on the doorstep. And I lost my mind. I love Dylan being like, that's a black cat on Halloween. You can't bring this in here. Also, I hate pets. Also, they have fleas. Also, no. <laughs> 
And, like, him not wanting pets totally makes sense for his upbringing. Like, he grew up in hotels. Like, yeah. I get it. Oh, for and, sure. you know, they traveled all the time. But, like, he warms up to this cat so fast. So fast. It's kind of that thing of when, like – you never want a pet or whatever, but the person you love wants a pet and like nothing could have ever convinced you to have a pet until the person you love wants one, right? And you just want to make that person happy. Yeah. Like I was not a cat person until I got older and then John was like, I grew up with cats and was like, I want a cat and now I have three. (laughs) And, you know, the first thing that Tony wants to do is give this cat a bath which Dylan makes the comment that they hate water, which is like stereotypically mostly true. I've had to give one of my cats one bath ever and it was the worst experience of my life. But like I also know that same cat loves to get into the bathtub and like just (laughs) – he's disgusting. He is a disgusting little cat. He likes to get into the bathtub and lick the stagnant water that's like hasn't (laughs) fully gone down the drain yet. Of course he does. But – yeah, they they go through this whole stereotype that cats don't like water and kind of use that as an excuse of like the cat scratches Tony to get away from being in the bath and you know cat scratches are dangerous like cat scratch fever is an actual thing so she has to immediately go clean up mm-hmm. and pulls out the first aid kit and finds the gun and to her credit, is literally just like, Dylan, come in here. What the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, I was really happy we didn't see that thing of where, you know, somebody finds something they shouldn't have or that they're uncomfortable with and just hides it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, to her credit, she immediately confronts them about it and is like, I don't like guns. They make me uneasy. You need to get rid of this. And I love that he says it's for protection and she's like, oh, yeah, protection from the street crime of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And – I find it so fascinating. You know, he comes in and is like, that's not where the Band-Aids are. Like, bruh, it's a first aid kit. Why would she – what? But they get in this argument and she demands that he gets rid of it. And she says, like, you need to get rid of that before someone gets killed, which made me think of when Mary brought up Chekhov's gun. Mm. And, like, you know, if there's a gun, it has to be used by, like, the third act or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I thought about foreshadowing. I was like, okay, is someone going to die? Like maybe not in this episode, but like they're bringing this up and we keep making this parallel of tr- like Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to die at the end. Yeah. It's definitely like you don't really believe Dylan's going to get rid of it. And like you think at this point, if he doesn't get rid of it, it's going to be used in a harmful way as only guns can be used. And like, Who's it going to hurt? Yeah. All I can say is that better not be Bruno. Oh, Bruno. Oh, when Bruno shows up and he's playing with the kitten while he talks to Tony. Boomy's there too. Boomy's like, Bruno, let's play with the cat together. <laughs> I understand. I mean, I swear to God, every time I see a kitten. But Bruno basically just shows up to be like, Tony Business sent me with a message because he's still playing nurse. Mm-hmm. And he says he wants to meet with you, you know, any time, any place, anywhere. He just wants to talk. Yep. And Dylan comes in with armfuls of toys for this cat and is just like, you need to get out of my house. But he does it like with the toys, like he points with the toys in hand. Yes. It was very hard for me to take him seriously when that little thing just kept bobbing (laughs) back and forth. (laughs) 
Well, and like Bruno doesn't take him seriously either because he goes to leave and like pops candy in his mouth and is like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> He's basically just like, bye, Felicia. <laughs> and so Tony tells Dylan, she's like, I think my father wants a truce. And I just really appreciate like how open and honest their relationship has been so immediately. Like mm-hmm. it started with huge lies and then all those lies came out and they were like, yeah, that failed. Let's just tell each other the truth nonstop. Exactly. Like, let's just keep cards on the table. Ever since they, like, made out in the library, it's like they've put it all out there, which is nice. hmm And so, yeah, the next time we see Tony, she's at the Peach Pit, and Brandon actually, like, is there, too, and he makes comments about how, you know, he's so happy that Dylan and Tony have been able to make it work and things like that. I mean, because Brandon's the only one that knows everything right so the fact that he's even like mentioning that is interesting to me um and then tony business shows up and sits down and this and brandon now brandon and tony actually get to meet yeah and i gotta be honest i didn't actually write anything down about brandon because after he leaves tony with an eye basically looks Tony business in the face and it's just like, you need to tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And he tells her he didn't kill Dylan's dad. But then she says, were you involved in it? Yeah. Like, did you have him killed? And he evades the question mm-hmm. and just tries to say like, well, you don't know anything about him. You don't know what kind of man he was. You don't know why he was killed. Like da 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 da. But she's like, Dude, I really don't care at all. All I care mm-hmm. is if you did it or you had something to do with it. Yeah, and like we don't actually really see like the full resolution of that scene because the next thing we see is Tony has come back to Dylan crying and she's like, "Oh my god, you're right about my dad." Right. Which it, I feel like is a very dangerous thing to say when you know Dylan has a gun and you're like, "I can confirm also that, you know, he was involved in your father's death and I'm really upset about it. Like, I feel like that just reopens a door that I want closed. Yeah, for sure. But again, to her credit, she's still being upfront with him and still being honest about the conversation she had and things like that. So on the one hand, it works in Dylan's favor because now he has confirmation. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's scary because, yeah, like – he still is having this these feelings of revenge and vengeance and things like that. So the fact that she is up front can almost be like a double-edged sword here. Yeah, and like this conversation totally ruins the night for her. She doesn't want to deal with trick-or-treaters. She doesn't want to play with the cat. She is miserable for the rest of the night. Yep. So the next day is when Dylan takes her – to the spot and is like, this is the spot I stood in while I watched my father die, which is traumatic. I mean, she's even like, why did you take me here? (laughs) Yeah, but he says like, you know, basically we need a fresh start. We need to move somewhere. And, you know, she says she wants a place warm with beaches. He says we can go to Hawaii. That's where my mom and my sister are. And yeah, like they get up to the waterfront and he pulls out the gun and throws it in the water to tell her that he's serious and they can move on. Yep. And the episode ends with both of them saying aloha to each other, (laughs) which like, I wish I had any faith they were actually going to move to Hawaii together and just like ride off into the sunset. 
Well, because you have to think about things like from where it is now. Now, Tony with a Y knows that Tony with an I knows, right? Like everybody knows what went down. And so there has to be some sort of catalyst here, right? Like the fact that they know now means probably some other things have been put into motion or have been thought about putting into motion. So, you know, the fact that Tony was so desperate to meet with Tony with an I tells me that he's going to be even more desperate to like make things right and Mm -hmm. try to get Tony with an I to stay, especially if she... If he somehow learns that she's going to move to Hawaii. Yeah. And I know at some point that Luke Perry leaves the show and then comes back, but I don't think it's this season. So I don't think he's going to like leave to go be with Tony. Like there is drama here. And just for the sake of knowing contracts, like I agree with you, something is going to happen with Tony and Tony and Dylan. Yep. Two Tonys and a Dylan. Two Tonys, a Dylan, and a cat named Trouble. <laughs> um, so, quote of the week. I only have two options. Hit me. So, I've got the one we talked about with Claire and Steve with, I was actually beginning to enjoy the concept of getting paid to constantly remind you of your shortcomings. I'm sure you'll find someone else to condescend to. Mm-hmm. And then Val with Madam Raven going, I've already seen my future and you're not in it. Two very good guesses. I definitely wrote down the Claire and Steve one. Yeah. Um, I had another, like a few other little things like Colin saying, trust me, I'm humble. <laughs> like, sir, shut up. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joe telling Donna, I thought you were an angel. And Donna saying, I'm undercover tonight. Oh, that was really cute. That was really cute. Oh, and when she's like, ahoy, matey, and he's like, oh, the devil on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. So cute. Colin introducing his mural and finishing it with, anyway, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kelly seeing the mural and saying, nice mural. <laughs> Man, that's a lot funnier when you say it. I know. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, honestly, like it was going to be the Claire and Steve thing, but then we talked about Dylan just being, being like, I woke up this morning, my baby was gone. And I'm just like, (laughs) you're the cutest. Like, he's just so cute. I love Luke Perry so, so much. I love when Dylan's happy. I know. It's so cute. It's so cute. And that's what makes me think they're going to rip it away from him. Yeah. We'll see. Ugh. Well, Mary, what's your moment? Is it the mural? It's it's every <laughs> single time that Dylan interacts with the cat. Yeah, that's okay. Fair. That's I like it, that. it had to be that. Like, God, that was like all I wanted to talk about with like I'm a, I'm amazed they wrote anything other than Dylan and the cat in this synopsis today. Well, Just, Dylan and Trouble, they do go together like two peas in a pod. Babies. Aww. I would have loved if we were like, what happened this week? And you were just like, Dylan got a cat. <laughs> Discuss. Yeah. For an hour and a half. Because <laughs> I would. Caitlin, what are Dylan in trouble going to get into next week? Well, I sure hope they remain safe because next week is season six, episode nine, Earthquake Weather. 
Ooh, okay. I mean, clearly, earthquake. Yeah. If there's one thing I know about California is that when earthquakes happen, they love to talk about it. Earthquake Twitter is a thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So we'll find out how the gang in trouble cope with an earthquake. Yeah. So until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to Podcast. You can also shoot us over an email if you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, or concerns, anything at all, at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family. All that kind of stuff really helps us, you know, get seen, build a community. You can go rate us on Spotify. That would be pretty cool. And, you know, if you give us a review on the or a review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm Kelly's New York. I'm a young David Silver skeleton. I'm not anniversary anniversary pumpkins. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs>